Uh, my name is Blair. Welcome to Waypoint. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you're at home with us, I'm glad you're joining us. I'm excited about this content because I think uh, it could help prevent us from loving like battleships. I love, the, I love the lyrics in that song because it paints a picture of what so often happens where we stand our ground and bullets come from our lips and we have this thing where we just... We can really duke it out with each other and do a lot of harm in our relationships. And I'm hoping that we can prevent that. Now, some of you might go, yeah, this is good. I'm so glad we're going to tackle some of this. Sometimes we have that problem. But I've also found that there are others who hear something like that and they think, I don't have any of these issues right now. I think I can check out and it'll be okay. Here's the thing. I haven't met one person who has mastered the ideas that I'm about to talk to you about. It doesn't exist. In fact, what I have found is that the scriptures tell us to do certain things that they shouldn't have to say. Like, why would the scriptures have to tell us this? It's because there's no set it and forget it feature in relationships. If you're in relationships, there's some things that you're going to have to do, period. Now, here's the thing. The ideas that we're about to cover, I'm convinced, are helpful for everybody. I don't care what kind of relationship. Like, if you're in friendships, these things can take, like, you can take them into that, and it's going to work. We're going to focus this on marriage. We want to see that part of our society strengthened, and right now we're not doing well. And so we want to talk into that and find a way to build those kind of relationships up. But if you're open to it, The ideas that we talk about could be used in all kinds of relationships that you have. Now, we've chosen Iron Man as a theme for this series, and we did that for a couple reasons. One, it's a long race. I mean, it it goes from thing to thing to thing, and each of those things are long in and of themselves. And And we thought, you know what? That's kind of what everybody wants in relationships. They want friendships that last a long time. They want They want spouses that they're going to be together with for a long period of time. We all have that kind of desire. It's just not playing out that way in our culture right now. I would say it's not even playing out that way with friendships in many cases. And that's because there there are things that we do inside our relationships that we think are normal. They're normal to us. Now, however they got there, that's a different time. That's a different subject to talk about. But for whatever reason, they come out of you very naturally. It's the thing that you reach for. It's the thing that you do. It's the way that you process. It becomes this natural thing that flows out of you. And if it's big, it can cause lots of problems. Like if you're abusive, that's going to be a problem. If you're controlling, those are easy to see. What's interesting The thing that causes the most damage to relationships are not the big things that are easy to see. It's the small things that repeat over and over and over again. You know why they repeat over and over again? Because you think it's normal. Because you, you have a pattern in your life that's very natural for you to go to. And as you go to that pattern, it keeps repeating itself. And the really small thing ends up building into something bigger over time and causes problems. 
At Waypoint, we ask people to adjust their course toward Christ. And sometimes that adjustment to honor God is a big thing that you have to change in your life. But, but sometimes, in this series especially, it's going to be some small things that you're going to need to adjust. And the adjustment may just need to be, I don't think this is normal anymore. And because I don't think it's normal, I'm going to find a different way to do this. That's my hope. That's my hope as we go through this stuff and present some ideas to you about relationships that you'll be able to evaluate and determine if there's some things that you need to adjust to honor God. Now, there's a second reason that we chose Iron Man as a theme. And it, it has some three important parts to it, and we're going to help you understand that. Maybe this will help. An Iron Man has three different components to it. You just can't do one thing, right? You've got to do three difficult things. Let me give you an idea of what they are. So the first is swimming, 2.4 miles. To give you an idea of what that is, if you went to the Northridge pool and you swam laps, you would have to swim 79, down and back 79 times to go 2.4 miles. If you gave me all day, I don't know if I could do that and I don't know if I'd be alive at the end of that. But after you get done with that, you're not done. Then you would jump on a bike and you would ride 112 miles. We're here at Bonneville Mill Park. If you got on a bike here, rode up to the toll road, out to the Ohio State Line and back, that's about 112 miles just to give you an idea. And then when you got back, you wouldn't be done. There'd still be another 26.2 mile marathon that you would run. That's like running all of these trails at Bonneville Mill five plus times. Now, I, I don't know how you would do that. It's, each one of those is hard in and of itself. Put them all together, crazy difficult. But here's the thing. If you entered an Ironman and you only prepared for two of those things, biking and running, and you couldn't complete the swimming, you wouldn't succeed. It wouldn't go well for you. So you have to look at that race and you have to think yourself, who would do something crazy like that? Who would put themselves in a position to do all of those things? <laughs> I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you got married, you just entered the Ironman of relationships. Relationships are hard, and the things we're going to talk about are going to apply to all relationships. But I'm telling you right now that you need three big components in a, in a marriage for them to soar and succeed. Three, just like an Iron Man. One leg, love. Seems easy. We're in love, right? It, love grows or it can contract. And the things that you do either allow that to happen or pe you'll hear people say we grew apart. That actually happens because it's based on habits that you have. And then there's respect. Another leg is respect. You've got to have a respect for the differences that you have with each other. Acknowledge what they are. Come to some understanding that we're really different than each other and that we're okay with those differences. And the last one is serving. And serving is great when somebody does it for you, but when you come home exhausted and you're expected to serve this other person, it's hard to do. And yet, here's what I can tell you. If you enter into a marriage and you do two of those three things really well, you crush them, but you let one of those slip, it can harm the relationship. In fact, it can end the relationship. 
That's how big this is. And so when, we, when we're talking about the Ironman, the question isn't as much as why you would get married or why you would run an Ironman. Maybe people get satisfaction out of completing a race like that. There's a lot of benefits to marriage, but here's the question I wanna focus on. If you knew you were gonna run an Ironman, how would you train for it? What would you do to prepare? How, what lengths would you go to to make sure that you could actually complete each leg of the race and be successful with that? And if the same thing is true about marriage, if you've entered into a marriage, what are you willing to do for a relationship that could last for 50 years? What are you willing to work at? What habits are you willing to evaluate, put in place or take out of place so that you could succeed on all three of those areas in your relationship so that you could soar? That's the question that we're gonna be asking and looking at for five weeks. So I hope you'll join me. I'm, I'm gonna pull a stool out, I'm gonna come back in and we're gonna use that as an image for the rest of this series. Every stool we have here has four legs, so I went out and bought this so that you could get an idea of what this would look like. It looks like it would be less stable. It's not, it's actually a really nice stool. Um, one big difference. In a four-legged stool that we have around here, if I broke off one of the legs, I might be able to balance on that stool and still use it. I'd have to use my two core muscles to do it, but I think I could do it. But if I broke off one of these legs, the whole thing fails, like it falls. It's unusable. I want you to understand this is what a relationship looks like. It has a firm foundation on three key ideas. Now, I'm going to show them to you in the scripture. We talked about them in the video, but I want you to show them in the text. Here's, here's what's interesting about the scriptures um, on this kind of stuff. There's two major sections of scripture that talk about marriage, but they actually don't. They talk about marriage as an illustration for how the church should live with each other. And, um, but we're going to stop. We're going to just look at what the scriptures say about marriage and go, wow, that's the kind of thing that we're supposed to have so that the church could be modeled after that. And we're going to ask ourselves how we're doing. Are we doing this really well? So the scriptures um, that I want to take you to, one is Ephesians chapter 5. So in Ephesians chapter 5, three things are, are listed that give us the foundation for relationships. So the first one is Ephesians 5.21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is two people choosing mutual submission, mutual service. It's not just one serving one person. It's both finding a way to help the other person become who God created them to be. There's effort there in helping each other. The second one drops down in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There it is. This, this is not the only place, by the way. Um, I don't know if this strikes you as odd at all. I think it's a little odd that the scriptures would have to tell us to love our spouse. But in Titus, women are told to love their spouse too. Like, how is it that guys and girls are have to told to do this? Maybe, maybe you could reach back and think, well, they had arranged marriages, so they had to be told to love each other because they had to grow into love with each other. But I, th I think it's there because it's something that you have to work on continually. 
I mentioned in the video that you've heard people who grow apart. That's a thing that really happens because people didn't take this, this to heart. You actually have to choose love towards each other. And did you see the high bar that was set? You're supposed to do this the way Christ loved the church. That's the example. In verse 33, there's more. The high bar is still set for love. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. Continues to be a high bar every time they talk about love. And then this statement gets made. And the wife must respect her husband. First Peter tells us that the husbands are supposed to respect their wives. There's this thing that two people share with each other where you have these wild differences, but you look past them and you find a way to appreciate the differences. These are the pillars. Love, respect, service. You build a foundation on this and you can have a long-term great relationship. You neglect any one of those and you will have problems. The problems can be so significant that the relationship might not make it. They end. So the question I want to ask is what's the most common thing that we do that chips away at the foundation of these relationships? By the way, if you do this with your spouse, you probably do this with your friends as well because, again, it's normal to you. And it turns out that there are four things that we do that we think are normal patterns of interaction. They're the kind of stuff that cause us to love like battleships. And they've become so normalized that you, you wouldn't even be able to see it unless somebody told you, no, this is really harmful for the relationship. You should back away from this. I, I know because I've practiced all of these myself, and I can tell you I'm going on 33 years of marriage. I'm still working at finding a way to deprogram what I think is normal or not. So I, I, I think this is something that everybody can work on. Now let me tell you where I'm going to get my information there's a group of people who've been studying marriage for 40 years. It's called the Gottman Institute. That's the whole career. That's all they do. They've looked at what makes great marriages great. They've looked at what makes bad marriages bad. Why do they end? And they've done all kinds of research on this, and they've landed on some pretty important stuff. I'm going to share that stuff with you. The reason I'm excited about their findings is because in every case, the things that they run into and then report on line up with what I see in the scriptures. Like, yeah, no joke. That would make sense if that's true because the scriptures have been saying something like this all along. The scriptures make it clear what our foundation should be. That's not hidden from anybody. But I want to share with you four things that chip away at this and that if you let them in your relationships for any period of time, you begin to create a pattern where these happen over and over, you will end up with problems, okay? So on your sheet that we handed out, it says um, tendency to do four things. Here they are. I'm going to give you number one, and we're going to talk about it. So number one, write down criticism. Write down criticism. Now that's tricky, right? Because in every relationship, you have to be able to tell somebody that you don't like something that they're doing sometimes. 
Yeah, you have to find a way to communicate that either that's annoying to you or you find that disrespectful or for whatever reason, you have to be able to talk about that stuff. You have to do that in friendships too. But how you do this matters. So let me define criticism for you so you understand what I'm talking about when I say this is not helpful. So the criticism that we're talking about is, is a personal attack. You'll hear it come out of your mouth when you use a you statement. You did, you said, you thought, you were. And, and, it, and it feels like it's about them. It's not specific. Like if you, if you had this thing that was annoying you, that was happening, you could have had a conversation that was specific about that, but instead you made it about them. And all of a sudden, they're feeling like they're being attacked because of it. You bring up a flaw in their character, in their values, or their beliefs. It's, it's the fact that you're lazy that this project didn't get done. You could have had a conversation about getting that project done. You could have come up with a solution together. But instead, it came across as criticism, and now their character is being blamed which is, by the way, the whole point of criticism. It's an attempt to blame the other person for something that's going on inside the relationship. And if they hold all the blame, guess who doesn't hold any responsibility? You. And so it lays everything on them. And people feel the weight of that. And it leads to, it leads to a couple other things that are on this list of four. But this is the granddaddy. If you can find a way to have different kind of conversations, if you could just have a complaint, here's the thing that I don't like. I feel this way about it. It makes me feel this way when that happens. Is there a solution that we can find to help us? If you could have that kind of conversation where you keep out the personal attack, you could actually solve the problem. You could actually take some responsibility for that with them. And the two of you solve it together. But criticism doesn't do any of that. And because of that, it leads to two other things that do a lot of damage. And I'll just say this. There are some people who will say, okay, if you want to criticize me, I wouldn't respond the way I'm responding with these next two things. You are responsible for your response too. Somebody may have criticized you in an improper way, but how you respond to that matters. And one of the normal and natural responses that we use in relationships, write this down, defensiveness. Defensiveness. Defensiveness is an attempt to take the blame that somebody is trying to lay on you and you try to shift it back onto somebody else. Usually, you try to shift it onto the person who just tried to blame you. Have you ever done this before? Well, I wouldn't have said that except you said. I wouldn't have done that except that you did. I wouldn't, and, and it, be, it becomes this circular thing because as soon as you shift the blame, oftentimes the other person then reacts defensively too, and you get this circle. In fact, you get this spiraling thing that gets crazy. There's two big things that happen when defensiveness starts. When, when I get defensive against somebody else, 
I try to shift the blame on them, and it spirals. It spirals into this thing where I'm just being critical of you the whole time, and you're being critical of me, and let me ask you this. Who is solving the problem? Nobody. Not anymore. You're just protecting yourself. You're just trying to shift the blame to somebody else. You're trying to avoid responsibility for all of it. And because of that, it just spirals. And it spirals so much that eventually you get to the place where two people are so frustrated with each other they don't know what to do. It, it just creates this horrible situation where nothing is being solved. Everybody's being frustrated. You know what you could have done? You could have taken even the smallest amount of responsibility that was yours. Maybe you're only 5%. The thing that they brought to you, you're 5% of that problem. But you admit, that 5%, I'm going to own. I accept that I, I failed with this. And I'm, I'll try to do this to make it better. Now, can we have a conversation about how that made me feel when you brought it to me that way? And you start going back and you figure out a way to have a conversation with each other that's helpful. I'll tell you this. Sometimes defensiveness has been used so often in your life that even if somebody brought you a complaint, they keep it specific they don't tell you it's about you. They tell it's about how I feel. You still can't hear them because there's so much defensiveness as a response for you. And things in the relationship don't get solved. And it, all it does is it leads to this spiraling frustration in the relationship where everybody feels like nobody cares about me. Leads to a second one. This spiral can lead to a third thing. And this one's tricky because the, uh, the person who does this, almost every time they believe they're doing something helpful when they do it. They're not, but they believe that. Write down the word stonewalling. Write down the word stonewalling. This is um, a moment in the relationship where the engagement ends. Where you're having a conversation and then it's over. And somebody decides to shut off all responses. They shut off their emotions. They just go cold. And sometimes they think like this. They think to themselves, my mama said, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say nothing at all. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to say anything at all. And this is going to get better by me being quiet. Uh, I'm really quite talented at stonewalling. Uh, I'm very good at it. And I can tell you for a fact, it does not make things better. But here's one of the things that we've discovered. One of the reasons um, that I stonewall is that my wife and I are not at the same level emotionally. I, I suspect that most of you in relationships with other people, you're not at the same emotional level. Somebody else has more emotional capacity than you do. My wife has a lot of emotional capacity. She can express a, a lot of emotions and, and go on for a long time, and she doesn't wear out. Like, it can just keep rolling out of her. And it gets to a place where I'm like, like, you're gone over what I'm capable of doing. Like, I got nothing left. I don't even know how to respond to that. And so 
I think the only way I can help is to be quiet. But you know what happens? She's not done emoting. And she thinks, if I emote more and harder, I can get a response from him. And you have the equivalent of an emotional fireworks going off over here, and I'm going stone cold as hard as I can now. Like, i got to find a way to shut this down. And it ends with both people being frustrated. You know what we could do? We've, we've started doing this. It actually works really great. We pause. We just take a pause. Because, this, because the flooded person, they don't have the capacity to go on any further. There's no point. You're not solving anything. And this person needs to just calm down a little bit. And so we take 15-minute breaks. If we're, into a, if we're into a good argument, we'll take a 15-minute break, just a timeout. And she'll go into one room, I'll go into another. You know how quickly we solve things when we get back together after something like that? It's fast. You know why? The research they found is that once your blood pressure reaches a certain, a certain point in an argument, you cannot solve the problem. It doesn't happen. Um, the only way to get to that is for you to find a way to calm yourself down enough to get there. And stonewallers think they're doing that, but they're not. Because when they stonewall, they end the conversation. They don't pause it. And if you could find a way to pause, you could find a way to get that thing going again and you could actually come to a solution. Now, these three, if you allow them in your relationship for long periods of time and they repeat over and over and over and over again, they'll lead to the fourth. And the fourth one that I'm going to talk about is a relationship killer. In fact, if I talk about this a little bit and you identify that that's going on inside a relationship that you have, you should seek help immediately because it doesn't take long for this one to end relationships. Write this down. It's the word contempt. Contempt. It's not that you just don't feel like you're in love anymore. You don't even like them. You don't even, everything they do annoys you. you. You think negatively in your mind about them all the time. You make public insults of them. Your joking is mean and crass, and you say it to be funny, but you also want to twist the knife just a little so that they get it, that you're not happy with them. And you have this feeling of discontent, like I don't know why I ever connected up with this person in the first place. Contempt generally has a short window. Once that starts, it will end a relationship in as little as six months. Now, the only way to beat contempt, because it is so negatively driven in your mind, is for you to choose to think positively about character traits and things that you love of that, about that other person purposefully. And you'll have to do that for three months. Honestly, this, it's such a bad place to be in. You're going to have to do a lot of hard work to get out of it. But you have to think positively about them for a long period of time. But I'm telling you right now, if you're not careful, you don't want to go there. Nobody wants to show up at contempt. 
But if you allow enough criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling in your relationship, you'll get there. You'll get there. In fact, let me just, let me just pull this forward again. I want you to think about the foundation that we know the scriptures say, this is what it takes to have a great relationship. And let me just ask you, if you bring criticism into the relationship, is that helping love? Does that support respect? Is that serving somebody? I've heard people say, oh no, I'm, it is serving them. I'm trying to help them be better. The way you delivered it is not. The way you delivered it is a personal attack where you're trying to place blame. Criticism chips away at the very foundation that God had in mind for your relationships. What about defensiveness? Is, it, is that you serving them when that happens? Do they feel respected when that's going on? Love? Is any of that happening? What about stonewalling? I know for a fact that when I stonewalled in my relationship with my wife and didn't care to change it, that she felt like I did not respect her at all and that she wondered if I even loved her. That's what these things do. Contempt, are you kidding? Love, you don't even like the person. Respect, you can't even find anything to think positively of them about. You're not looking to serve and help them become the person they were meant to be. All of that's gone. All of that gets wiped out. And this is the kind of stuff that happens for so many people. In fact, the research would tell you that it's not the big things that ends the relationship. It's these. In fact, let me show you this. I want to put up a list of the 10 things that these change all the time. The re top 10 reasons for a divorce, they change all the time. Can we put that up on the screen? Is there a chance that we could do that? Awesome. Um, this was a recent survey that they did, and, and I think it's pretty solid. And if you start looking at it, you can see, you know what? It's really about the foundation being eroded on almost all of these. But here's something that you should find fascinating. Some of these you can't avoid. You can have the greatest relationship and you can't avoid it. Like this one for me. My wife and I do not think the same thing about money. We haven't for 32 years, and I suspect the next 32 are going to be the same. Like, we just have a different perspective. Now, that could be a reason for divorce, or it could just be an environment where you figure out how to communicate better with each other, and you strengthen the pillars, and you find a way through it. See, that's what's happened for, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who have experienced different things in their lives on this list, every one of these things on this list, and you know what? They're still married. How is that possible? If these are the reasons to get divorced, because they're not actually the reason. There's reasons behind the reason. And the reasons behind the reason is because you've eroded any kind of respect for each other. You've eroded love. You've eroded any kind of serving. And because that's not there, when a big problem pokes its head out, you have no foundation to fight that with. The, the reason I want, I want you to be thinking about this 
is because for the next four weeks, we're going to give you some stuff that you can do that are really helpful inside relationships. And none of them will matter if you can't figure out if you've allowed any of these four things in your relationship. Because these are the thing behind the thing that erode the very foundation that God says you need to have a great relationship. So in the next week, I just want you to be honest. I want you to sit down, find a quiet place, and just ask, is there anything on this list, these four things, these tendencies, that I do naturally, that just flows out of me? Do I see this in other relationships that I have? Do I do it with my friends? Do I do it with my spouse? And then maybe if if you identify one that's on the list that's, man, this is just natural for me and I tend to go to it quickly, maybe have a conversation with them to say, hey, I think this might be a natural one for me. Do you agree? And then just listen to what they have to say. Listen, don't fight about it. Don't get into a fight about this. Try to have a conversation where you're helping each other figure out what's playing between the two of you. Because if you can't address this, all the other good things won't matter. And we've got some really cool things that we're going to talk about. I'm convinced that God wants you to experience peace in your relationships, a sense of unity. You do that by reinforcing the foundation that he made, and it becomes this binding thing that the two of you do together that's incredible. That's what God has in mind for you. Will you have the courage to figure out what you're doing so that you don't have to love like battleships? Would you stand and join us for worship?